like that. Oh my goodness, what is up, one and all? Welcome back to the Logan Blackman Show. Oh my god, it's been a long-ass time since we have recorded an episode of the Logan Blackman Show. The last show we recorded of the aforementioned Logan Blackman Show was March 11th. March 11th. It does not feel like it was that long ago that we have recorded an episode, but we got... I just needed a little break. It has been three weeks since the last episode of the Logan Blackman Show. And did I initially plan to record an episode, the first episode back from this little so-called break or sabbatical or whatever you want to call it, on April 1st? No, but that's how it worked out. We got a mock draft coming out today because the original plan in my mind was like, okay, let's go out there and we're going to record an episode on the 28th or for the 28th, I guess. We're going to have a mock draft come out on the 28th. We're going to record a show on the 28th because, for those who are unaware, the NFL draft takes place on April 28th. So I thought it'd be a good idea to have a mock draft that was exactly a month away from the 2022 NFL draft. But the problem was with this whole draft situation, this is arguably, uh, I I don't want to say ever, but one of the most unpredictable drafts in NFL draft history. Like, no one knows really who's going first overall. Like, we have our assumptions. We can assume it's between, from what I've gathered, this isn't a spoiler for anything, but I think the top three people in consideration for the number one overall pick are Ike McConwoo, Aquanu from NC State, the offensive tackle guard hybrid. Then you got Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, who finished second in the Heisman Trophy. He's, He's the favorite at this point in time for the Heisman Trophy. And then we got Trevon Walker from Georgia. The edge rusher D-tackle from Georgia, who has just absolutely exploded of NFL draft boards recently, to where now he's in the dark horse conversation. This is something that was not seen as likely back when the college football season ended. Okay? So this is a kind of a scary topic, but Trevon Walker is one of the favorites to be the number one overall pick. No, it's not Kayvon Thibodeau who has been the perceived number one overall pick since he got recruited out of Oregon, or two, when he committed to Oregon as a fre- when he was a senior in high school. He was the number one recruit in the nation, number one edge rusher. It was seen through prophecy that Aiden, or, um, Kayvon Thibodeau would be the number one overall pick in the draft eventually. And then it's not Kyle Hamilton. He's tested weirdly, really weirdly this offseason, and he's a safety, so he obviously won't go number one. It's not Derek Stingley who, when he was a freshman at LSU, when LSU won the national championship, put forth one of the greatest seasons in college football history, he's not even considered, a lot of people don't even consider him a top 10 pick anymore. Kayvon Thibodeau's talked about possibly falling all the way down to number 9. Kyle Hamilton, who was seen as the best player in the draft, or at least second best player in the draft by most people out there, is now considered to be an outside shot at a top 10 pick. From what sources are saying on, you know, different avenues on the internet and stuff like that. Which you can believe what you want to believe, but again, that goes to the, the what do you want to call it, the unpredictability of this draft as opposed to like last year. We knew who the first three picks were. We knew Trevor Lawrence was going number one, we knew Zach Wilson was going to go two, and we knew it was a quarterback at three. Whether it was Mac Jones or Trey Lance, we knew a quarterback was going at number three. And then we knew Kyle Pitts, if Trey Lance was on the board, Kyle Pitts was going four. So if the Niners took Trey Lance at three, which they did, the Falcons were going to take Kyle Pitts. And then it was going to be Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell at number five. And then it was going to be either Waddle or Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase if he's available. And then it was going to be either the Lions trade back or Sewell. So, like, last year's draft was so predictable in regards to the first few picks. 
this draft, you don't know where trades are going to come into play. You have two teams in the top 10 that have multiple top 10 picks in the Jets and Giants who are both reportedly interested in similar players. A lot of links recently have been saying that both the Giants and the Jets are both heavily linked and heavily into or heavily interested in Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati, the cornerback, who is pretty much separating himself from all the other corners in this draft class. Like I like Stingley. I like Trent McDuffie. I like Andrew Booth, Kyler Gordon, Roger McCreary from Auburn, those guys. But Sauce Gardner is far and away at this point in time the number one corner in the draft. Like, there's a few positions where you can clearly see the gap between, like, safety's another one. Kyle Hamilton's so much ahead of Daxton Hill. Or Lewis Seen, or uh, Jaquan Brisker, or someone like that from the safety position. Like, I think most people out there would consider, based off recent practices and stuff like that, Malik Willis is clear of all the other quarterbacks in this draft class, depending on who you ask. That's all pre- preference and stuff like that. Not you. If you've listened to the show long enough, you know <laughs> we are massive Malik Willis fans here. Like We've been talking about Malik Willis before even last college football season started. Like Malik Willis is the dude. So I am not surprised by anything about Malik Willis blowing up combine, blowing up the combine, not just in the practice, but in interviews as well. Not surprised by that at all. It's very unsurprising to me in that matter of the fact. <laughs> like, even before last season started, we bring it up last season, we're talking about Malik Willis. Who the hell in their right mind thought Kenny Pickett would be number one or two quarterback in this draft class? Not I, says the dog. I, I did not think this at all. Because the clear number one and twos from that point, before the season started, to me, were Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma and Sam Howell from North Carolina. And Sam Howell is going to be drafted this year. He's a guaranteed second-round pick. I don't think, I guess, depending on who you ask or how much you think each team will value a quarterback, I think Sam Howell is a lot to go to the second round. I think every quarterback in this draft class, apart from Willis and, well, I guess, Willis and Pickett, I am... Close to locking in first-round draft picks. Because this is a draft class, again, similar to that of the 2013 draft class. When the Bills drafted E.J. Manuel, 16th overall, Eric Fisher went number one, one of the worst draft classes of all time. Not the most flashy draft class of all time. But that was a similar structure to that. We don't know. We didn't know back then and don't know now what the draft's going to shake out like. Like, would you have ever thought a tackle from Central Michigan would go number one overall? And Eric Fisher's had a decent career. I would not say it. And looking back on it, did he deserve to go number one overall? I don't remember who was all in that class. But when you look at the the pantheon of greats or busts of first overall draft picks, like you go from the quarterbacks. You got Derek. I don't want to put David Carr in that category. I feel bad for David Carr. But like Tim Couch is definitely up there. And you got Courtney Brown sticking with the Browns theme if we're just going to go somewhere off a quarterback. Jamarcus Russell's another one. And then you got the greats like Peyton Manning. Eli Manning for a little bit. I know Eli, yeah. I, Vic. Like, Eric Fisher falls somewhere in that wiggle room of, yeah, he was pretty good, but he also at moments, like, Chiefs fans, one of my best friends, Brady, hates Eric Fisher with a passion. And I think that's a sentiment shared by most Chiefs fans out there. I could be wrong. I'm not, I don't, like, I don't ask a lot of people's opinions about who's your least favorite player on the team? I do sometimes, like with my close, close friends. I know it's a very personal question, so I don't, I don't like to let's just throw that question out there. Because everybody, I generally assume your favorite player is either going to be the quarterback or a wide receiver or something. 
That's usually most people's favorite player. Now, if you're a Colts fan, like Jonathan Taylor and Quentin Nelson should be your number one and two player, favorite players on that team. Darius Leonard should be up there as well. So, like, that's an odd situation where the quarterback and wide receivers are not going to be your favorite players. But most of the time, that's who it is. Like, you have people growing up, like, you either liked Michael Vick, like we mentioned, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, all these guys, and he liked Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson, Terrell Owens, like, those guys, Larry Fitzgerald. Those are your favorite players growing up. Now, my favorite player growing up, as we've stated numerous times on this show, is LaDainian Tomlinson. So I guess I'm quirky like that. <laughs> I am one of, I fall in that special category of my favorite player wasn't a quarterback or a wide receiver. Hmm. Now that's just a case study. I don't know if that's actually factually correct. I, I could be really wrong on that statement. But <laughs> Your favorite player is probably, I don't know, uh, Shane Leckler for the Raiders, Sebastian Janikowski, because there was a time, I don't know if all of you or a lot of people out there remember this. I was talking to my dad about this not too long ago, actually. And this was always insane. I think every kid my age growing up playing Madden, there was a time when the Raiders were so bad, like terrible. Like we're talking Lane Kiffin era Raiders here where Sebastian Janikowski and Shane Leckler were the two best players on the team. Like one and two. It wasn't like they were one of the best. No, they were the best two players on the Raiders. That's how bad the Raiders were for a little bit. Like pre-Carson Palmer era Raiders, which weren't even that good. The Jason Campbell era Raiders we're talking about here. The Did Bruce Gradkowski play for the Raiders? I feel like he played for the Raiders. I could be wrong. I know he played for the Steelers. I think he was a Raiders quarterback too. I'm trying to think of other awesome Raiders. I mean, Rich Gannon was not in that era, but he's just another Raiders quarterback that popped in my head. Who, who would else be considering that great pantheon of great Raiders quarterbacks that we talked about? I know, Jamarcus Russell. We talked about him already. Derek Carr, we're not going to talk about him because he's it's kind of like in the 2000s, you got two different eras of Raiders quarterbacks. You got the Rich Gannon era, the Derek Carr era, and then everything else called the last like 15 years. No one really knows what went on in the Raiders organization during those 15 years. Before Derek Carr, after Rich Gannon, uh, it's not a great, uh, not great, not really that great. But uh, we're not here to really talk about the the Raiders quarterback situation from the early 2000s, mid to early 2000s, 2010s. We're here to talk about other things. We're going to come back to football here in a little bit. But I feel like this is the number one thing we have to talk about. And this is the main reason, actually, why I'm doing a show today. And if you know me, you know that I grew up playing soccer. Soccer's a sport. I don't know if I could do the math all the way through. But I would imagine I played soccer longer than any sport I played. And I, I say that probably because, of the, I mean, first grade to 12th grade. I didn't play in college, but I played football from... Fifth grade, not, well, I guess we're counting flag football, third grade up until my sophomore year of college. So, like, I've had a long experience in different sports, but soccer was the first sport I really got into playing. And my dad just was, I, if I remember correctly, just was making friends in the neighborhood or something like that and found out one of the dads in the neighborhood was coaching a soccer team. He was like, oh, yeah, you went low, Logan should sign up for this team. Conveniently got number 21 because my two favorite players at the time – LaDainian Tomlinson and Sammy Sosa, both wore 21. Jeez, sorry. But man, I remember doing a show back in 2017. I was at William Penn University in Oskaloosa. I hosted the Logan Blackman show on, ooh, what was the station called? I remember the nickname was The Kitchen. We had to make ads for it. Oh, I, I made some radio spots. I played them on the Logan Blackman show while I was up at UNI because I had the opportunity to play multiple sounds at the same time. I can't really do that. <laughs> I can 
but it'll be in post. It'll just be really weird for me to sit here and go, oh my god, that's hilarious. I could do that, and that would be actually kind of, I don't know, ironically funny, not actually funny, but it'd be kind of funny. <laughs> but I, I remember sitting there in 2017. I was, and I remember where I was before for the event that I'm going to talk about here. So obviously, I did the show beforehand, but for the event I'm talking about, I was in my future roommate's room at the time. We were hanging out. The Chicago Blackhawks were playing the Montreal Canadiens at the time. And I had NBC Sports Chicago, as most people do when it comes to, like, with your direct TV package or dish package. You get that. And that was when I was actually really into hockey. I, I've i been really bad at following the Chicago Blackhawks or the Buffalo Sabres, for that matter, this year. All I know is recently the Sabres came back from 4 nothing down and beat the, the Blackhawks, like, 6-5 to or something. So, yeah, not really ideal, but... We were sitting there, and I didn't know about totally legal streams at the time. I think I've told this story before right here. I know I definitely have told this story before, but I didn't know about ways you could totally legally stream games without having like a direct TV account or something like that. I didn't remember. I didn't know the ways. So I found this website that was just tweeting, going along with the game that we're going to get to in a little bit. And once it ended, the thing of you watching the Blackhawks game and hanging out with your friends, that that emotion of good feelings is gone. Like, I did not feel good for about a week after this event. I stormed out of the room. Didn't say anything about what I was doing. And I called my dad. I was on the phone with my dad for about a half hour and 40, two, 2.45 minutes. Complaining, whining, bitch, whatever you want to call it. Just angry at everything that was going on. I have never been that mad after a sporting event in my entire life. And I didn't even watch the game because I couldn't watch it. I could, but I just didn't know the correct ways to get around watching it. And of course, I'm talking about the United States losing to Trinidad and Tobago and missing out on the 2018 World Cup. That is the single worst moment of my sporting... Well, no, 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 13 seconds against the Kansas City Chiefs. But hey, overtime rules changed. So that's something. <laughs> I didn't cry after the United States lost to Trinidad Tobago. I was so pissed. I did not really have a, a tear in my eye. But I cried after the Bills-Chiefs game. But they changed the overtime rules. Look at that. Josh Allen, who we already knew was the greatest quarterback in the NFL, has changed the NFL. Now both teams get a possession in postseason overtime. But, man, I was so mad. Like, I, my dad was just kind of sitting there. Like, I, he wasn't really saying a whole lot. He was just kind of letting me vent a little bit. He was kind of like my therapist for a little bit. Like, you never in your life, if you're a soccer fan, you never picture your national team missing a World Cup, especially when you're in a qualifying group that does not, at face value, have extremely tough opponents. Like, it's not like the United States lost to Mexico or lost to Costa Rica or or someone like that, who Costa Rica had an insane run at the 2014 World Cup, making it to, I think, the quarterfinals. Like, these teams, that those are the teams you, not Trinidad and Tobago, you don't lose these games. You were, all you needed to do was not lose. And you lost. And then the couple on that, Panama won. So then you're out of the World Cup. You never think about that. When you're growing up watching the United States. Because the United States, what we are told growing up is like, oh, we're the biggest, baddest country in the world. We're the best at everything. And then once you lose something like that, that seems so handout-ish, where you're in a group where you should not, under any circumstance, 
be missing out on, that hurts. And it's kind of an ego death for you in a little bit. And the more and more I think back on that day and that situation as a whole, the more and more I'm thankful for that day, weirdly thankful for that day. Because what that day ushered in was a whole new thought process about American soccer, about what the national team was going to be, what the mindset of the team was going to be moving forward. The team back then really couldn't have given two shits about anything that was going, and that resembles from their captain, which again, I have talked lengths about why I do not like Michael Bradley. I'm not going to get into that whole situation again. But the only person that seemed who cared during that game was Christian Pulisic, who was like 17 years old at the time. The weight of all of United States soccer, even for a 17-year-old kid, now he can handle it. He's 23 years old. He's got it now. It was on him then. Like this kid, this 17-year-old kid, is going to lead the U.S. to great things. And I am forever grateful now, as I sit here on March 31st, for you April 1st, that they missed that World Cup. Because without that World Cup, without them missing that, I think nothing was going to change. We weren't going to get the same, what do you want to call it, devotion towards the team anymore. We weren't going to get that. This team now, this United States team, and I get, like, they lost to Costa Rica, okay? They lost 2 nothing. It didn't matter. All they needed to do was not lose 6 nothing. Did I get a little nervous after Costa Rica scored the second goal in quick succession of the first one? Yeah, because again, that thought process of, oh my God, they missed a World Cup, nothing is out of the question anymore. So yes, though it was the second half, though it was about 30 minutes left in the game, there is that tiny thought in the back of your head that says they're going to blow this, aren't they? Like You don't actually think it's going to happen, but there's something in the back of your head that says they're going to lose this, they're going to lose this. Like, I don't care that they lost the game because they're in the World Cup. All that matters is that you're in the World Cup. That's all that matters. It didn't matter how you got there. It's just a matter of fact, you are there. Because teams like Italy, Egypt, Algeria, Sweden, these teams are missing out. Sweden lost to Poland. Italy lost to North Macedonia. Like, these teams are missing out on the World Cup. They're going to watch the United States. They're going to do what the United States did in 2018. But man, this team cares. Like that performance they had against Panama. They won 5-1. Christian Pulisic scored a hat trick. He's the first American player, first U.S. international player, men's side, to score a hat trick in World Cup qualifying since Clint Dempsey in 2017. I think it's ironic, and I don't know if it's actually, it could be wrong. Maybe I don't have the dates exactly right, but the downfall of the United States weirdly happened after Clint Dempsey was stripped of the captaincy. And I'm not saying that just as he's my favorite player of all time, but things got really bad for a while with Michael Bradley as captain. And I am thankful because if they went to the World Cup, we would still have Michael Bradley there as the captain probably. He's on 200 caps now or something like that. And people are actually having the conversation. He's one of the greatest American soccer players of all time. Like I laugh at those conversations. It's not, no. It's not it's nowhere close to being a conversation. But that game against Panama, the game against Mexico, boring game, missed a lot of chances. Jordan Pifuck, Jordan Siapachu, what do you want to call him? Missed a sitter, skied it over the bar. Like the U.S., realistically, should have won the game. Boring game, though, nil-nil draw. That was easily 
even though they missed a chance, a great result. Because that made the game against Costa Rica a whole hell of a lot less stressful. Do you imagine they lost that game 1-0? They're in the playoff. If the United States lost to Mexico 1-0, they're sitting in the playoff right now because they just lost to Costa Rica 2-0. A Costa Rica team, might I add, that was playing a team with basically zero experience in any circumstance because a lot of their best players were on yellow cards. They were like, okay, we're realistically not beating the United States 6-0, so we got to get ready for the, the, the qualifier, who I think they're playing New Zealand now. So they played a, a young team. The U.S. played a fairly strong team, one of the strongest teams they could have been out there. Not with Giovanni Reina, because Giovanni Reina is still, you know, fully trying to fully recover from his injury that he had for Borussia Dortmund. And that West McKinney's not there. Serginho Dest wasn't there. So it wasn't like full, full strength United States team, but it was a damn strong team. Tim Weah was there. Yedlin was there. Pulisic started. Uh, Tyler Adams played a half. He got a little banged up in the first half, so he got taken off at the halftime. But, man, I don't care. Like, my dad got home late last night, and we were sitting there watching the game. He was like, oh, my God, 2 nothing," And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I thought you'd be a little – no, it, it really doesn't matter. As long as they don't allow six or four more goals, <laughs> I am perfectly content with what's going on with this. I am perfectly content. Like, again, it doesn't matter how they got to the World Cup. All that matters is that they are back. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, I don't know, insane celebration because, again, the team's a little ticked because they lost 2-0 to Costa Rica. I mean, there's positives and negatives from both situations. Pulisic, after the game, the first thing he said, he was disappointed about the loss. Like, I don't know who the captain's going to be for the United States going into this World Cup, but I've, if you look at some of the biggest performances in this past year and a half, dating back to when they played Mexico in the Nations League final, Pulisic, when he's the captain, puts forth the best performances. Like, he scored the insane penalty against Mexico in the Nations League final. And he scored a hat-trick against Panama. Like, a Panama team that kicked the United States out of the World Cup, might I add. So, yeah. But, man, it. I'm just happy. I don't need to worry about... Now, Sweden didn't make it either, like I said earlier. So, I didn't even have a team to cheer for. The United States somehow lost by six. And somehow, by... Good Lord, by some insane situation, they lost to New Zealand. I would have been a mess. I would not have watched the World Cup. I would have probably cheered for England because I've got some, I mean, Blackman, it's fairly easy to predict where that, or figure out where that last name came from. But, yeah, I'm just happy. Completely different set of circumstances right now than what I was back in 2017. Like, man, am I happy where the World Cup is? No. Am I happy where it's in November? No. But, hey. The U.S. is in the World Cup. Am I buying a World Cup jersey? Yes, of course. Why would I not do that? But, man, they're in pot two for the qualifying thing. So they're in a pot with Mexico, Netherlands, Denmark, Germany, Uruguay, Switzerland, and Costa Rica. So you choose a team from each pot, and that's your your groups. So you still got to win or figure out three other teams. So every team is, that's it. So here are all the teams in the World Cup right now. So we got quite a bit. So we got Qatar, obviously they're the host. Brazil, the number one ranked team in the world currently. Uh, then we got Belgium, France, Argentina, England, Spain, and Portugal. Then pot two, we got Mexico, Netherlands, Denmark, Germany, Uruguay, Switzerland, the United States, and Costa Rica. 
Pot three, we got Senegal, Iran, Japan, Morocco, Serbia, Poland, South Korea, and Tunisia. And then, or Tunisia, sorry. And then pot four, we got Cameroon, Canada, Ecuador, Saudi Arabia, and Ghana. Now, <laughs> Canada in the FIFA World Rankings right now is 38th. They cruised through qualifying pretty much. Like, they were, like, Kyle Aaron, Alfonso Davies, like, they were awesome throughout most of this. They're 38th ranked nationally national team in the world. Mexico's ninth. The United States is 15th. And they both finished behind Canada. <laughs> but then after that, we got Ecuador, Saudi Arabia, and Ghana. And then we've got the Oceania versus or no, 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 no. We got the African countries versus Camable. I don't know who that playoff is. I'll click this to see. So we got Peru ver oh, they don't even have a, a winner for this one yet. <laughs> we gotta we gotta wait. For um, Australia versus UAE. So we got UAE taking on Australia. They'll take on the winner. Peru will take on the winner of them. And then we got Costa Rica taking on New Zealand. So the winner of those two games will make the World Cup. And the UEFA Path A winner. I don't know what that is. So there's another semifinal, another bracket thing. So I, I don't know what else is. So Path A, we've got Wales taking on either... Jeez, we got to wait all the way till June. We got Wales taking on either Scotland or Ukraine. So that's the situation we got going on there. And the winner of that game versus Wales, Scotland, Ukraine will go to the World Cup as well. So we've got a little bit. Those two, that game doesn't get sorted out till June 22nd. Then we've got the AFC versus Campbell game taking place on June 13th or 14th. The CONCACAF versus OFC is on June 14th or 13th as well. So, Yeah. Now I can sit here and actually give you a squad prediction because, oh my God, the U.S. is actually in the World Cup. Like We've done squad predictions before, so this isn't the first time, and it's not too dissimilar to what we've done recently, but I think there's some things that I still feel confident in or things that I've kind of figured out since then. Um, there was reports, though, recently of the, of the World Cup or FIFA allowing 26 players per team. I don't know if that's actually coming into effect yet or not, but we'll wait and see on that, see if that actually becomes a thing. But uh, squad for the United States, if we're just doing, I should probably just do this. So take some things out here real quick. Got to move some stuff around. And da -da 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 -da. hold on. Sorry. I've got to, I've got to switch some, switch some stuff. Uh, it's almost there. <laughs> promise. I promise it's almost done. Okay. There, 23 people. <laughs> I had to do some time. I had a 26-man squad. I had to fix it around a little bit. But uh, the goalies for this team, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, I think you can make an argument for the third one. But Zach Steffen, Matt Turner, and Ethan Horvath, I think it's a toss-up between Horvath and Sean Johnson, the goalie from New York City FC. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, the competition between Turner and Zach Steffen. I think Zach Steffen, we talked about this quite a bit. In 2021, Zach Steffen was the unquestioned starter. There were some, like, hipster picks of people going, oh, Matt Turner should be the starter. But Zach Steffen was the starter for the United States men's national team. Pretty unquestioned, if I do say so myself. And then he got hurt in the Nations League final against Mexico. And then Ethan Horvath comes in. And Ethan Horvath saves the penalty against Andres Cuadrado. And now we're talking about possibly Ethan Horvath taking over from Zach Steffen, which is ridiculous. Ethan Horvath, nice guy, seems like. He, he wasn't taking Zach Steffen's spot because that's a situation, we've talked about this before, of romanticizing a situation to the point of where he saved one penalty. He played 
20 minutes, and now we're actually talking about him displacing a guy who's been relatively unchallenged, worn the captain's armband numerous times beforehand. That's not making sense. And then we had the Gold Cup. Zach Steven obviously wasn't going to play in the Gold Cup because Zach Steven had prior commitments to Man City for preseason tours and stuff like that. This Gold Cup was a squad filler, essentially. We talked about this the entire time we were doing Gold Cup previews. The Gold Cup was all players that were either on the cusp of making the squad or didn't have a shot at making the squad beforehand, so we're going to give him a chance. We like this guy. We're just going to fill out the rest of the squad because we had, again, at least 10 players that were locked in. I don't, I'm not going to go through each 10 players. That's just a topic at the top of my head guess. And Turner came in with one cap. And Turner came out of that tournament as the best goalie in the tournament. He allowed one goal the tournament, and it was a penalty. I think it was Emmanuel Riviere against Martinique. One goal the entire tournament. Like, Turner really made himself, oh, I'm challenging. I'm for real in this situation. And then now we've seen Stefan take it back. But I felt kind of bad for Stefan because after that tournament, everyone's talking about Matt Turner's the number one guy. Zach Stefan didn't do anything to lose the job. He got hurt against Mexico, freak injury. Horvath comes in, saves penalty. Matt Turner plays the Gold Cup. Zach Stefan was never going to play. Matt Turner gets goalkeeper of the tournament. Now we're talking about Matt Turner displacing Zach Stefan. But you can see in what Burhalter's been choosing recently, he still views Zach Stefan as the number one guy. It doesn't matter what the fans think. Zach Stefan. All things considered, at this point in time, is the United States number one guy. And I remember a few years ago, like we're, we're, during the 2017, prior to that situation, the goalie situation in the United States was not ideal either. It was Tim Howard and Brad Guzan. Tim Howard, the greatest American goalie of all time by some margin, and Brad Guzan, who was his backup through all of his World Cups he'd been to. And Tim Howard took a sabbatical, and then Brad Guzan came in, played all right, and then Tim Howard came back, and Jurgen Klinsmann kind of got in his feels a little bit, which he did on a few occasions. Remember the Fabian Johnson situation that he had where he said he was faking an injury? That was awesome. <laughs> he got in a fight with Landon Donovan. Like, a weird situation. But it's kind of similar to a certain extent. Zach Steffen at this point in time of his career is not anywhere near what Tim Howard was. I'm not saying he can't be, but at this point in time, he's not Tim Howard. He's not Tim Howard. <laughs> That's not saying it's a bad thing. The U.S. has had a long line of great goalies. Like, they've had a lot of good goalies. Tim Howard, Timmy, Timmy Ola, um, uh, Casey Keller, another one. Brad Friedel, another one. Like, There's a lot of very good goalies for the United States men's national team. You, know, you could throw in Brad Guzan if you want to. But, yeah, those are the three goalies that I have chosen based off recency of what Greg Berhalter's done. Ethan Horvath was the backup to Stefan during this recent run in World Cup qualifying. So, yeah, but I don't know. We'll see how that all shakes out. But I think, obviously, Stefan and Turner are the number one and two options. Johnson and Horvath will compete for the last spot. Right back, I think he'll take three. I think he really likes his right backs. The United States is extremely deep at right back. Or not extremely, but very deep at right back. The big three that I think he'll choose is Des, Cannon, and Yedlin. Not in that order. That's just the number order I have him on. Like, Dest will wear two, Cannon 20, Yedlin 22. But Yedlin's the number two guy. And I think the reason, left back, I only have one. I have Anthony Robinson, who's, like, insanely separated himself from every other left back the United States has at their disposal. But I think why he do this, Berhalter has shown an affinity at times for playing in a back three. And Dest has at times played as the left wing back for the United States. And he's done a very good job. He scored a few really nice goals from that left wing back spot. And his relationship with Christian Pulisic on that left side has worked really well as well. 
So if anything, God forbid, happened to Anthony Robinson or he wants to use DeAndre Yedlin in some capacity, a right back, Deadlit, yeah, oh geez, Dest can play as left back. Dest has played left back for Ajax. He's played left back for Barcelona. He's played right wing for Barcelona, right back, obviously. So I think those are the three they'll take in Anthony Robinson. I think George Bello has a shout in there. Joe Scaly and Shaq Moore, two other bright backs that you can consider in that situation. A lot of people out there were upset that Joe Scaly wasn't in the squad. But he's not an experienced player. Shaq Moore has been there, done that with the United States recently. He was in the Gold Cup team of the tournament. Like, he's played some very high-pressure situations in the United States and played very well. The reason I chose Cannon over him is that Cannon's the best defensive back they have. Like, you look at, if you brought a World Cup squad with Dest, Shaq Moore, and DeAndre Yedlin, you ain't defending anything. Like, they don't really track back that well. The thing that helps them is that they're extremely fast. That's the thing that really helps them. But, uh... Yeah, they ain't great defensively. Great going forward, but not great defensively. Then the center backs, I, again, I think it's the same four. I mean, you could throw in a, uh, uh, a dark horse in there as well, but I think it's Zimmerman, John Brooks, Miles Robinson, and Chris Richards. I think John Brooks, realistically, is starting to get ousted <laughs> as the United States center back. And I think right now the number one and two choice center backs are Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson. They have a very good relationship in that center back. And Walker Zimmerman has proved to be a really good leader for the United States from the back. He's not the fastest. He's not the most athletic. He's not going to outjump a ton of people, but he's really strong and a great leader, which is what the United States could need at that center back spot. John Brooks can't stay healthy. I do really like the fact of him being a left-footed center back, but it's clear Greg Berhalter's not really rating him a lot recently. Miles Robinson's the number one guy. At this point in time, Miles Robinson's the number one guy. And I think Walker Zimmerman's right behind him, and I think John Brooks... Right now, according to at least what it looks like from Greg Berhalter's point, is number three. And John Brooks ain't comfortable being the number three guy for the United States as he was seen as the clear number one guy for a few years. He's going to get outed. He's going to get ousted from the team. We're going to get someone like Mark McKenzie or Aaron Long, who's been back in the United States team. Uh, Eric Palmer Brown, who I completely forgot existed until he was in this recent squad. Tim Reams, another one there as well. So, like, you've got other options, but John Brooks... If we're talking about their peak, John Brooks is better than all the other center backs they have, but he can't stay healthy. And for some reason, Greg Berhalter's not really rating him that highly. And if he's not, again, if he's not comfortable being the number three guy, don't add him to the squad. Uh, defensive midfielders is Adams and Costa. I think those kind of pick themselves. Adams, one of the most important players in the United States. Acosta, very, very underrated player for the United States. Does all the dirty work. Has the odd mistake in him every once in a while, but every player does every once in a while. But I think his shithousery, which is a compliment again, is very effective for the United States. I love that he gets in the face of every single player. That's the thing I love about this team more than the team that won- lost the 2017 World Cup, qualif- or geez, World Cup qualifiers against Trinidad. This team don't back down from anybody. Like, you see the game against Mexico. Like, Christian Pulisic is egging it on with the fans. Like, they don't care. They're like, oh, we'll get in your face. Weston McKinney's the same way. Like, they'll get in your face. They'll get into it. And Kellen Acosta is the best set-piece specialist the United States has. So... That's another thing there. Um, then we got center mids, McKinney, Musa, kind of picked themselves. And then Sebastian Legette and Christian Roldan, I think I kind of kept that pretty consistent. I think Luca De La Torre has really pushed himself forward as being one of those guys to get called on. Like, he was the first player off the bench for the United States against Costa Rica coming in for Tyler Adams. So I think I could really see a reality where he comes in, but Roldan, I think he's one of those players that Burhalter trusts. Him and Legette are two players he trusts. Legette has played a lot of minutes for Greg Berhalter. He can play almost every position from midfield to the striker to the wingers, wherever. He can play everywhere, which I think Berhalter really trusts in him. And I think Roldan will be that guy that comes in like the 65th, 70th minute, somewhere around there, and see out a game. 
That's what I kind of get from Roldan. He's a good leader for Seattle. He was a captain from the MLS All-Star team a few years ago. So I think you trust him. But Luca De La Torre definitely pushed himself forward in that regard. Played really well for the United States in these past few games. Then we got wingers. Again, I think they kind of picked themselves. Uh, Reyna, Pulisic, Aronson, and Wea. I, I mean, there's shouts for Paul Ariola, there's shouts for Jordan Morris, but nah, those are easily the best four wingers the United States has. And you can make an argument that Giovanni Reyna is a win- midfielder. Like, that's fine. You can play him as a number 10 if you want to, and you can add Ariola because that's another player that Greg Berhalter really trusts. We're talking about the top, top guys for the United States. Ariola is not on Wea, Pulisic, Aronson, or Reyna's level. Aronson wasn't even in the squad for this last one. So, yeah, they'll be, those four are the top guys. And the striker, God, this stupid position. Like, the striker position is a mess for the United States. No one knows who the number one guy is. But I think after this World Cup qualifying period, a lot of people, including myself, are sitting there going, can Jesus Ferreira be the number one guy? Can he really be the number one guy? And I feel like he could be someone that felt a little bit hard done by not starting in that game against Costa Rica. So I feel like he might be one of the guys there. And I didn't think he ever was, really. I just thought he was a guy that keep getting call-ups in games that don't really matter, but Berhalter likes him a lot. Uh, Jayasi Zardes hasn't played recently, and I thought he was a guy that Greg Berhalter really trusted because he's a guy that'll do all the hard work defensively while also getting forward and provide assists, score goals, do whatever. I think Ricardo Pepe, though, is considered by most to be the number one guy right now. That's not saying a whole lot, but he right now is probably the United States number one guy. If I had to rank the strikers in regards to what I think the order is for these top guys, I would go Pepe. Then I'd probably, based off this recent run, Ferreira, and then Jordan Pifuk, or Pete Siabachu again, Zardes. I didn't even put, I think Zardes is better than Ferreira and Siabachu, but. I haven't seen Zardes play in a little bit. Uh, Jar Sargent doesn't do anything. I mean, he's the guy that'll work really hard, but he's not even playing as a striker for Norwich. I don't know why he made the move to Norwich. Like That seemed like a, da- a, a doomed move from the start. I don't think that was a good... I, don't, I, don't, I didn't like that move at all. The move stressed me out. <laughs> I do not like that move at all. He's playing more as a right winger. As a right-footed striker, you're getting played as a right winger. That's not great. <laughs> that means you cannot score. Now, he scored two good goals for Norwich a few weeks ago, but uh, that's been it. That's really been it. Uh, Daryl DK is another player that will be mentioned up there as well. Matthew Hoppy was someone who got who captured the attention of the nation in the Gold Cup. A lot of people really liked Matthew Hoppy. Some people were comparing him to Clint Dempsey. I don't remember if we made those comparisons or not, but I remember some people were. But, man, striker position, it's a mess. But I think right now, just given what I've seen recently, he might try to take three strikers. I don't know. That's It's an odd situation we got going on with the striker situation, but I think the top two guys right now are Ferreira and Pepe, two FC Dallas guys. So if I'm going through the squad again with numbers included, this is in number order, so 1 through 23. I'm not going to say the number, but... Keep your head and like roll down, like count on your fingers. You know, like Stefan's one. So Stefan Dest, Walker Zimmerman, Tyler Adams, Anthony Robinson, John Brooks, G- Giovanni Reyna, Weston McKinney, Jesus Ferreira, Christian Pulisic, Brendan Aronson, Miles Robinson, Matt Turner, Christian Roldan, or Luca De La Torre. Don't care which one. Chris Richards, Ricardo Pepe, Sebastian Legette, Jonas Musa, Ethan Horvath, Reggie Cannon, Tim Weah, DeAndre Yedlin, and 
Douglas, uh, Kellen Acosta, not Douglas Costa. And then the starting lineup, I think, is Stefan Dest. It's 4-3-3. Stefan Dest, Zimmerman, Robinson, Robinson. Tyler Adams, McKinney, Musa, Reina, Pepe, Pulisic. That's what I think the United States' number one lineup is right now. I did see Clint Dempsey release a lineup and had Tim Way at striker. I could see that. Tim Way has played striker in the past, played striker for PSG and Celtic, has played striker at times while he's at Lille, but has, I don't think he's ever played striker for the United States. He's always been a right winger for the United States, but he is one that could play that striker position. I think you can even say Giovanni Reina could play as a false nine. I think that's something that could also be said too. Giovanni Reina is a big dude. He's six foot one. Like He's not a tiny guy. This dude's big. And he ain't afraid to push his weight around. <laughs> so... I think he could be someone you look at as someone that potentially could be a false nine for the United States. But that's a, that's all hypotheticals here. But we're sitting here for you on April 1st with the United States in the World Cup. That is all that matters. Don't care they lost to Costa Rica. Don't care they finished third in their qualifying group. That don't matter to me. They are in the World Cup. And I'm going to take a sip of water to celebrate. But, man, they're in. So that's all that matters. Clap it up, clap it up, clap it up, clap it up. But I'm excited. There was some rumors that they were going to play France in a friendly, which would be kind of interesting. So it'd be fun. It'd be fun. But before we move on, I know I missed up on this part earlier. We're 40 minutes into the show, and I have completely forgot to do this. Uh, for the Look at Blackwood show, make sure you're following me on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram. Go and like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and of course, follow the Look at Blackwood show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Twitter is Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman show one. Facebook page and YouTube page are the same thing. Just the Logan Blackman Show. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Watch a few videos. Give them a thumbs up. Can't dislike them, so pfft, screw you. And then on the Facebook page, give it a thumbs up. And make sure you're following it as well. Because we post a lot of stuff on all these different social media platforms. And, you know, you can add me on LinkedIn as well if you really want to. <laughs> and then uh, Facebook, I mean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Of course, you're listening to the show right now. You should be following the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. And leave a rating on a five stars. Tell you what you think about individual episodes about the show in general, whatever. But man, it is good to be back. It is good to be back. <laughs> the break was needed. The break was very much needed, but man, it's good to be back. And uh, there's a lot of things that I wanted to talk about during this little break that made it kind of tough. There was points where I was like, okay, I should just do a show. And I was like, no, 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 Logan, we need to take a break. We need to take a break. I've never been burnt out before, but that was one of the situations where I was like, I need to, and it doesn't seem like I do a lot, like, I talk for an hour, but uh, it can get taxing at times, especially when you're doing a show three times a week or trying to do a show three times a week. Like, I was struggling doing a show on Monday. I couldn't, I wasn't getting consistent. The show was suffering because I was burnt down. I was trying to force it, and it didn't really work. So, hopefully, we'll be back on Monday with a full show, but there's a lot of things I really want to talk about. A lot of things I really want to talk about. So, like, before we, we took this little break, Rodgers got extended, Wils, Russell Wilson got traded to Denver, and Carson Wentz got traded to Washington. So, uh, yeah, the NFL scene is not the same after that, and it feels like all these freaking losers are going to the AFC. Why can't these people go to the NFC? Like, Russell Wilson gets traded. Matt Ryan gets traded up to Indianapolis. Devontae Adams goes from the Packers to the Raiders. Deshaun Watson's back with the Browns. He wasn't a threat on the Texans because the Texans are terrible. And now the Browns, who have one of the best rosters in the NFL – have Deshaun Watson. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole Deshaun Watson situation. I'm not mentally strong enough to handle that entire situation, but uh, it's it's weird. 
let's just call it weird. This the contract situation, the suspension that's basically impending. It's a weird situation, and I, I'm not really gonna get all into it. But uh, yeah, Baker now gone. I, I don't know where he's gonna go, or at least that's what it seems like. But Sean Watson could be suspended an entire year. So, <laughs> do you keep Baker on the roster? Well, Deshaun Watson suspended, and Baker Mayfield's your starting quarterback? I don't think he'd do that, but that's apparently something they're talking about. Will he just get straight-up cut? Will he even have a team next year? Because the weird situation with Baker Mayfield is, and we've made fun of Baker Mayfield in the past, because Browns fans, like we talked about the Ethan Horvath situation, where you're romanticizing a situation to make it seem better than what it actually is. Like, Horvath's penalty was awesome, but we're not really having a conversation, like really having a conversation about him displacing Zach Steffen as the U.S. number one. We're not having that. Baker Mayfield, yeah, he ended the Browns' postseason drought. Awesome. Like, you're going to romanticize the situation. The quarterback that ended the drought. That's what's good. The Bills have Tyrod Taylor, but Bills fans were smart enough. Some went to different extremes with this situation, but Tyrod Taylor was not the guy. Like, he wasn't... The sole reason they got to play. I will I will never say a bad word about Tyrod Taylor. All I've ever said about Tyrod Taylor is that he's very limited in what he can do. He's not a franchise guy. He's a very good bridge guy. He's not going to lose you any games, but he sure as hell ain't going to win you any games. He's a more athletic version of Alex Smith. Everybody loves Alex Smith. But no one really wants him as their franchise quarterback. But that's what people were acting like when the Bills got rid of Tyrod trading to Cleveland. Like, what? Tyrod is an all-right quarterback. I love Tyrod Taylor, but I don't want him as my franchise guy. I'm super happy they got Josh Allen. But Baker's just average. There's nothing special about what Baker Mayfield does. Apart from his toughness, there's not an elite trait Baker Mayfield has. I remember we made fun of a tweet last year. Because remember last year's when the whole Deshaun Watson trade situation kicked off and we didn't have any scandals to worry about. We just had the trade talk. And I remember seeing a tweet about a Browns fan saying, I wouldn't trade Baker Mayfield for any quarterback in the NFL. Maybe Patrick Mahomes. Maybe Patrick Mahomes. There's not one thing Baker Mayfield does better than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. He, If you walked into him on the street and you didn't know who he was, you would think he's just some average guy. He's as big as me. I'm not sitting here and saying I'm a, I have the exact physique of an NFL quarterback. Now, Baker Mayfield's confident. Baker Mayfield's tough as hell. But uh, he's weirdly annoying. Like, it was kind of quirky and kind of funny when it was like the ball-grabbing thing. That's funny. Oh, he's got the yelling thing. Oh, if you're not on the... Oh, what did he say? The Duke Johnson thing. If you're not on the bus, get off or something like that. It was some bus thing because Duke Johnson tweeted out a crashed bus or something like that. Like the Odell Beckham trade. That was going to take the Browns to the top. But it didn't. And then Odell got traded from the Browns and started bowling out in Los Angeles. Now, sadly, towards ACL in the Super Bowl. But that dude was back. By all accounts, Odell Beckham was back as a very good wide receiver, very threatening wide receiver. There's nothing threatening about Baker Mayfield. And I get he was hurt. I'll hail my hand. I know he's hurt. He hurt himself and the team more than he probably should because he was playing hurt. And I know he's not, as a player in the NFL, you never want to lead the football field. Like, Phillip Rivers tore his ACL against the Colts, had surgery, played the next game against the Patriots. Shouldn't have done that. Brett Favre played multiple, multiple games hurt. Probably shouldn't have done that. 
lost the Vikings and the Packers a few games because he was playing hurt. And I know Baker Mayfield looked up to Brett Favre, but dude, you ain't Brett Favre. You ain't as mobile as Brett Favre. You're not funny like Brett Favre. You don't have the arm of Brett Favre. You just have the mistakes and the injuries. That's it. <laughs> You're not fun to watch. Like This Browns team is built to, um, what do you want to call it, to shelter themselves from Baker Mayfield's so-called mistakes. They have the best one-two running back combo in the NFL. They have the best offensive line in the NFL. They had Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry in the same team, and he ran Odell Beckham out of town pretty much. They have an elite edge rusher. They have really talented corners. Like, this team is, by all accounts, very good, and they missed the playoffs. I know they had injuries all over the field. I understand that. And I understand a lot of people are upset with the situation about how that Baker Mayfield is there, the Browns are in the running for Deshaun Watson, and then they're not. Baker requests a trade. The Browns say nah because they wanted a one-way relationship that was only one way, or an uh, open relationship that was only one way. And, yeah. And then Baker's get, Baker gets pissed off, and rightfully so. But people on Twitter coming to the defense of Baker is like, oh, man, Cleveland was a shithole before Baker got there. It'll be that when he leaves. Baker's not anything special. <laughs> I don't get it. He was seen as a reach as the number one overall pick when he got drafted. No one thought he should have been the number one overall pick in the draft. Everybody, most people, I shouldn't say everybody, most people had Sam Darnold at number one. Josh Allen was up there as well. Like, again, I brought this up before. What does Baker Mayfield do that is better than Mitch Trubisky? I want someone to tell me that. Because Trubisky got lambasted in Chicago. And it was only until after he left, after going to two playoff appearances, making two playoff appearances in four years, that, oh yeah, he's not actually as bad as we thought. Matt Nagy's a terrible coach. What does Baker Mayfield actually do? Like, you're drafted over Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, the second ever unanimous MVP in NFL history, and then the currently best quarterback in the NFL. Why is no one talking about him as being as big of a bust as Trubisky? He's made less playoff appearances. He had a better roster. Like, what, what does he do that's better than Trubisky? Trubisky's not annoying like Baker Mayfield. And he played with a shoulder. Like, they even have the shoulder injury thing. Like, they even have the same injuries. They have the shoulder problem. But, man. And I get it. It's sports. It's your favorite team. Like, you're going to romanticize things. I romanticize things all the time. You want things to be better than what they actually are because it's your team. It's a team you've followed your entire life for most people. You want it to be this rosy gold thing that's awesome. When really it's not. When really you passed on Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, who I'm starting to see less and less Browns fans saying he's better than those two. And that game against the Chiefs and Bills, I know I joked earlier about Josh Allen changing the NFL, but that overtime where Josh Allen didn't touch the ball, that changed the overtime rules. Sean McVay even came out and said, there's not one person who watched that game that said they didn't want to watch Josh Allen touch the ball. Not one person. And then you watch that game, and then now every team in the NFL is looking at the current quarterback situation and going, can my quarterback compete with those guys? And Baker Mayfield can't. So they traded for a quarterback that can in Deshaun Watson. And I get he hasn't played in a year, and I know he's going to be suspended for probably a season this year. Or at least should be. At minimum. <laughs> so, Yeah. Baker can't compete with those guys. Can't compete with Mahomes. He can't. They almost beat the Chiefs in the playoffs because Mahomes got hurt. They played Chad Henney. 
Russell Wilson, Broncos can't compete with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. You're in a division with Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, you can't compete with Drew Locke. And even Derek Carr, who is now sadly the worst quarterback in his division, which is the best worst quarterback in the division in NFL history probably. And I know he made fun of Derek Carr, but I like Derek Carr. I just don't get how a lot of people rate this dude so highly. But that's that's beside the point. But can my quarterback compete with these guys? And that answer is no. Baker can't. Teddy can't. Drew Locke can't. And they traded for big-time guys. So, yeah. It's a weird situation. And Derek Carr got his college teammate, which... I don't think there was there shouldn't have been a lot of people that were too surprised about Devontae Adams going to Vegas. Like that was we talked about this before. If he was gonna go anywhere, he was gonna go to Vegas. Like he played with Derek Carr in college. He made it abundantly clear that if he played with any other quarterback, it'd be Derek Carr. Like for years. It wasn't something that just came out of nowhere. I if when I saw that, I was like, okay. Am I surprised he got traded? Kind of. But to the Raiders, no. But the reason probably behind that. Is because he got franchise tagged. He said no. When you look at the stupid contract Christian Kirk got, was it four years, seventy-two million, with a upwards of eighty-four million or something like that? Number one wide receiver money for Christian Kirk, who was the number three guy his entire time in Arizona. Nothing worth <laughs> that money. Nothing worth that money. I don't know what Trent Balky is thinking down there. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not. Maybe that's the problem. But Christian Kirk, for that contract, four years, $72 million. He had a career year last year. Sick. Devon, DeAndre Hopkins was out 90% of the year. And A.J. Green is 30-something years old. So, yeah, you were going to get a lot, of care, a lot of catches last year with your number one guy out. Like, this reminds me of a situation where it was, um, who was the, Cow- the Cowboys guy? Gotcha. He went to the Buccaneers. Signed a big contract with the Bucks. This is back in the 90s. Ah, oh, crap. I gotta look this up. 19, the 93 Cowboys. Maybe he was on that roster. I don't remember what his name Alvin Harper? Was it Alvin Harper? Hold on. It might be Alvin Harper. Yes! It was Alvin Harper. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Alvin Harper had um, some success in Dallas. Similar numbers to that of Christian Kirk. Played four years in Dallas. Had a number one guy next to him the entire time he was there. Michael Irvin. You know, heard of him, Hall of Famer, part of the triplets. And then he goes to Tampa and just does nothing. His career year is 633 yards, two touchdowns. And the year he left was coming off a career year. 821 yards, eight touchdowns. And, yeah, it didn't really, didn't really work out. Didn't really work out. <laughs> And that he was released before the start of his third season in Tampa. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the kind of vibes I somewhat get from this situation. I'm not saying Christian Kirk will be this, but Alvin Harper was his first-round draft pick. So, it, can, it wasn't like he was some just nobody receiver. Christian Kirk was, what, a second-round draft pick? Third-round draft? Early third? I don't remember exactly what round he got drafted. I think it was a second-rounder. Yeah, second-round draft pick. I mean, hell, if it works out, good for you, but... That's weird. And then they gave Zay Jones a weird-ass contract. They gave him, like, a $30 million contract for Zay Jones. I I really have no issues with Zay Jones because he was a part of Josh Allen's development in Buffalo, and he was very frustrated because he comes in, he's the all-time catch leader in college football history at the FBS level and then can't catch in the NFL for some reason. 
And then he gets this massive contract order doing, like, playing all right in Vegas last year. Like, and then I, I like the Brandon Scherf move. I have no real issues with the Brandon Scherf thing. That one's fine. But the wide receiver deals they made, those are weird. I like Christian Kirk, and I like Zay Jones, but good Lord, they don't deserve that type of money. And I know the, oh, no, it does. But for what they're playing or what they're worth, positional value, they ain't worth that. They ain't worth it. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of a mess. And that kind of screwed up everything. I don't remember what Devontae Adams was, uh, what the money he turned down in Green Bay, I know people are saying he turned down less or more in Green Bay than he went to Vegas. I, I don't know what the situation is. I don't, I'm not a Packers fan, so I didn't really care. But, man, free agency has gone freaking crazy. And Trent Baalke in, in Jacksonville, good Lord, he's, going, he's on one. He's on one. But one team that – one team – I don't know why I said it like that. One team that made money moves this offseason is my team, the Buffalo Bills. Now, the entire offseason, it was like, okay, what are the Bills going to do? They're the number one team in the AFC. That's what most people are considering. Like, I saw something on Twitter like a few days ago that said, were the Bills the best team in 2022 or 2021-22? I don't like playing that game because they lost to Kansas City in the divisional round, so I don't really want to play that game. But they made some really nice signs. You thought you brought in J.D. McKissick. It didn't. Then he went back to Washington after he signed the contract. And then you brought in Duke Johnson to replace him. I like Duke Johnson. I like that move a lot. You brought in two backups to replace Trubisky. went off to Pittsburgh. So you got Matt Barkley and Case Keenum. Loved those backups as well. Matt Barkley more of an emotional leader than anything. Not Actually, I don't want him as Josh Allen's backup again. But Case Keenum, I really like as Josh Allen's backup. Bring in Jameson Crowder. Bring in O.J. Howard. Roger Saffold, the first move they made this offseason. Awesome get. And then you bring back Ryan Bates, another awesome move. Thought he was he was getting brought in by the Bears. Everybody thought he was going to the Bears and the Bills weren't going to match the offer. They did. So he's back. And then you bring back Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. You bring in Tim Settle from Washington. And who else did you bring in? I'm trying to remember who all they brought in. They need to figure out the corner spot. But uh, the big move that they made. Vaughn Miller. This will be if he plays <laughs> for the Bills, because God forbid, knock, knock on wood, he stays healthy. He'll be the first ever player to have a Super Bowl MVP and play for the Buffalo Bills. First ever player. The biggest free agent signing in franchise history. And there's been some big franchise signings. There's been some big free agent signings. Not, not big, but big free agent signings. <laughs> Terrell Owens was a pretty big one at the time. He, he didn't really like wow anybody but everybody was super happy or what you thought was super happy it was kind of oh well, I shouldn't say super happy you were conflicted because he was like oh my god we got this but it's Trell Owens one of the greatest wide receivers of all time so you liked it but man Vaughn Miller and the crazy part about this is Vaughn Miller was signed on what March 16th was that the day it was the day before St. Patrick's Day right yeah March 16th two years ago to the day the Bills made the biggest fra trade in franchise history, trading for Stephon Diggs. Exact same day. The greatest franchise, the greatest free agent signing and the greatest trade in Bills franchise history were on the exact same day. And I know old school Bills fans say the Cornelius Bennett trade, get in from Indianapolis was a big trade. But man, Stephon Diggs, his first season led the Bills in receiving yards. It led the league in receiving yards and receptions. Like we're talking, he's arguably... He's on route to pass the great Eric Moulds. And I say great Eric Moulds, and I'm not saying that ironically or funny. Like, Eric Moulds 
was the he was the Andre Johnson of the Pills, where you're on this team that's trash with some terrible quarterbacks, and you don't feel like you get the respect you deserve. I think Eric Molds should easily be in the Bills Wall of Fame. I love Eric Molds, one of my favorite players growing up. Him, and you had Drew Bledsoe, Travis Henry. Willis McGahee, who destroyed his knee at Miami, the Bills still drafted him anyways <laughs> in the first round, which is crazy to think about. Even for back then, crazy to think about. Oh, man, for a running back, <laughs> like Jalen Smith destroyed his knee at Notre Dame, and the Cowboys waited until the second round to take him. Willis McGahee was a running back that took him in the first round. That's insane, but I love Willis McGahee. Jason Peters, who's... <laughs> Ah, that trade hurt. That was one of the saddest trades when he got Mooney. Or no, was it a trade or free agent sign? He left for Philly, whenever that was. Drew Bledsoe at the time was also seen as a massive free agent get. Get him from the Patriots, played in the Super Bowl. Highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And then, uh, man, I would have liked that <laughs> the other one they had. <laughs> I would have loved the number 12. He would have been kind of cool. He would have been a pretty, man, he would have been a pretty good get, wouldn't he? Man, if only Bledsoe did get hurt. <laughs> But no, Drew Bledsoe was my favorite player growing up. So I don't. Doug Flutie was another big free agent signing as well. Getting from the Canadian Football League. Rob Johnson, probably the worst free agent signing in Bill's history. But man, Von Miller's contract's the thing that's kind of been blowing up everywhere. Six years, $120 million. It's not, from what I gathered, it's not, that's like a three year or four year, $17 million a year contract or something like that. It's very base heavy. So like the first three years for the cap situation, pretty much. So. Right now, it's nothing really, but once he gets to year whatever, five, uh, we're talking about monster money for Von Miller, but one of the greatest edge rushers of all time. One of the greats. So I'm perfectly content with Von Miller. And it's crazy to think about, the Bills almost drafted Von Miller. Like in Von Miller's introductory press conference, he said he thought he was going to be a Bill, which is crazy because I never even really put two and two together. The Broncos drafted him second overall. The Bills drafted Marcel Darius third. (laughs) So... And Marcel Darius was all right at times in Buffalo, but he got kind of a, it's like fat and uh, annoying for a little bit. So then, yeah, it would have been nice to have Von Miller in his prime, but hey, I'll take Von Miller now. And Von Miller said it best. This team will win a Super Bowl with or without me, so I might as well join now. Hell yeah, Von Miller. Hell yeah. Like, if the Bills could do anything more, they still need to figure out corner and running back. Those are two problem positions for the Buffalo Bills. But man, those two moves. The Bengals made moves in the offseason as well, getting a bunch of linemen in. Brought in Ted Karras, brought in uh, Lyle Collins in as well. Some big moves for the Bengals to restructure that off the line because they needed it. They re-signed Eli Apple, which was an odd move. But, man, there's some crazy things going on in the NFL right now. Some crazy, crazy things. I saw a power rankings thing, though, that had the Chiefs at 12 recently. I don't remember who posted it, but uh, I get the Chiefs. Oh, yeah, another thing. Uh, Tyreek Hill is in Miami. Is in Miami. I don't like playing Ty- – well, I guess I, I guess I talked to my dad about this. Like, we get to play Tyreek Hill twice a year. Well, the Bills are already playing Tyreek Hill twice a year. They are playing him in the regular season, and then they were playing him in the postseason. They are already playing him twice a year, but now he's got Tua throwing the ball. Now they got the, the – I saw something like the Legion of um, – uh, Legion of Vroom because Raheem Mostert, Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Waddle are, like, the fastest players in the NFL or some of the fastest players in the NFL. But I'm not – I'm not going to sit on the Chiefs like that. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to give them any extra motivation they already have. So they're pissed off about how the season ended themselves. So I'm not going to sit here and go, yeah, I think the Chiefs will be ass next year. I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to do that. But uh, the Rams, this happened today. They got Bobby Wagner, linebacker from the Seahawks, one of the greatest linebackers of all time. So, yeah, the Rams just uh, don't care about any money situation ever. They're just like, yeah, um, print money pretty much. So we should probably check in on that. But, man, <laughs> I have been hearing – hearing, I've been seeing that uh, Rams-Bills opening night be an interesting one. The, the, the Super Bowl that should have been – what they're saying <laughs> oh i forgot about this sorry i haven't done a show in three weeks so i'm a little rusty but the bill's got a new stadium or are gonna get a new stadium officially a lot of money 850 million dollars of public funding but you know what bills are staying in buffalo for the next 30 years at least so that is positive because there's some rumor recently that they're going to austin if anybody bought into that you shouldn't be reading that kind of – you should probably just stay off the internet because there's some crazier things out there than that. You'd probably believe that at the drop of the hat. But, yeah. Was was Tom Brady back when we last did a show? Well, Tom Brady's back. I don't <laughs> I don't know if that's a, a thing that we talked about last time, but I, I don't remember. And Bruce Arians is gone. Todd Bowles is the new head coach. And apparently there are some conspiracy theories that Tom Brady was only coming back if Bruce Arians was gone. Bruce Arians took a senior football consultant role or something like that. So Todd Bowles, the head coach, got a new five-year contract out of it. So we'll see how that goes. And Bruce Arians had his own story about uh, how he wanted to give Todd Bowles a chance to win with this current core. Didn't want to give him bad teams. He's going to retire after this season anyway. So who knows? I'm not surprised Bruce Arians retired. I feel like this dude – I mean, he's already retired once. He retired from the Cardinals. And I wasn't too surprised he's surprised. So I don't know what the real reason is behind it. But the Bucs, they're still going to be good. They got Tom Brady back. Tom Brady looked at this, this landscape of the NFC and was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll be back. NFC is nothing. They gave all their best players to the AFC. I'm mean, as happy as hell Bobby Miller st- or Bobby Wagner stayed his happy ass in the West Coast and stayed in L.A. Not with the Chargers, though. Oh, and Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson were the Chargers, speaking of L.A. Too. Like, I'm just trying to jogging my memory of all these moves that have happened. Patriots haven't done anything, which has been awesome. <laughs> they traded Shaq Mason and lost J.C. Jackson. Burnt the bridge with J.C. Jackson. So um, what else has happened that I'm just trying to think about off the top of my head? Tyron Taylor went to the Giants. That was a cool move. Not really surprising. Him going to the I mean, Bills-related front office so and coaching staff. So, yeah, I'm going to go play there. Uh, what else? We brought up Trubisky going to Pittsburgh. I'm just trying, I'm staring at a wall. I'm staring at one little dot on the wall because I'm trying to have it jog my memory. I want it to say something to me. Is there some player I'm forgetting about? Like massive, massive player that I'm forgetting about. I don't think so. Robert Woods got traded to Tennessee. No, that wasn't the move. Allen Roberts is going to LA. No, it's not it. Do I have anything else on regards to free agency of trades? Zadarius Smith was going to go to Baltimore. Said nah. And now he's playing with the Vikings. So, um, what else? There's got to be something else that I'm completely forgetting about. Uh, Randy Gregory said, screw you to the Cowboys, went to the Broncos. That was kind of funny. Man, I, okay, I think that might be it for regards to free agent deals and stuff like that and trades. Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton are down in New Orleans. That's something. Um... Uh, Bears haven't done anything. <laughs> um, Steelers got James Daniels from the Bears. I guess that was something. Um, I'm trying not to just sit here quietly. The Jets signed C.J. Uzama. They also got um, – the Ravens got Morgan Moses. 
right tackle, so that shirt up their their offensive line. Alejandro Villanueva retired. Uh, Lake and Tomlinson went to the Jets as well. That was a good move for them. Get a guard in there. Jacksonville have already made fun of them. Houston's Houston. Atlanta's got nothing on their roster. They made they signed Marcus Mariota. Not very surprised. Play with Arthur Smith in Tennessee. Like the day after they trade Matt Ryan. Oh, here comes Marcus Mariota. Man, this this SI article says. <laughs> oh, is this just how they did in free agency? Okay, it's not. Or is this rankings post free agency? Oh, NFL power rate. The Panthers are the worst team in the NFL. I don't know. I I might say the Falcons. I might say the Falcons are the worst team in the NFL. But that's just me. But neither the Panthers nor the Falcons did anything. But like you look at the NFC South. That NFC South is trash. Good Lord. If I'm Tom Brady and I just retired, yeah, I'm coming back too. I get another division ring and I get a chance to make a run in the playoffs because I got three teams to compete with, the Packers, Rams, and I guess ourselves. So I'm really too nervous about this. This Maybe the 49ers are good. Maybe Trey Lance is the dude. And I like Trey Lance, so I hope he's the dude. But no one wants to trade for Jimmy G because his shoulder's messed up. This is the most inefficient way of ever talking about free agency. But, hey, I apologize because uh, I'm lost. Because <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of all these moves that have happened or it didn't happen or whatever. And I, I'm excited. I, I haven't done a show in a while. So I'm a little... I'm a, I'm sorry. I'm a little rusty. Okay? I'll apologize. I'm a little rusty. I saw the Batman. <laughs> Is that something I saw twice? Um... Yeah, I guess. But no, uh, I'm just joking. I'm just joshing here. We, we like to have fun here. We like to have fun here. Oh, March Madness. We haven't talked a single moment of March Madness on this stupid show. Uh, nothing to talk about. Uh, my bracket sucked. My bracket got ruined on the first day. Iowa lost to frickin' uh, Ro- Ro- geez, Richmond, and then he had Kentucky lose to St. Peter's. I haven't checked my bracket since that first day. So I might do it here. I have not checked. This is the first time I've checked this bracket. I don't know how I'm doing in regards to the group that I'm in. I'm ranked 900.9.8 millionth in the world, so that's something. Where am I ranking this bracket thing? 39th. I'm not last. So you know what? We'll take that as a positive. We'll take that as a freaking positive. Good Lord. Now, I went into this knowing my bracket wasn't going to be anything, so I'm not too sitting. I'm not sitting here going like I was really upset about my bracket. My bracket sucked ass. So yeah, we're gonna the less talked about that the better. But we're gonna move on here to mock draft 3.0. Okay, we got mock draft 3.0 coming out. I'm very excited. Mock draft 3.0, just mock drafts in general are my favorite things to do. Like I've talked about this before. When oh my god, I just realized this is episode four, season four, episode twenty. Hell yeah! On April first, oh man, I should have waited a little, a little bit longer to make it even funnier. But I love mock drafts. If you know me, you know I love the draft. We talked about this on the show before. The NFL draft, other than like actual games and stuff, because I love watching football, obviously. I love watching college. I love watching pro. I love football. It's my favorite sport of all time. But I love doing mock drafts. I spend way too much time on them. I stretch way too much stress and energy on them. But you know what? Geez, sorry. I love them. And this one, again, is stressful as hell. Because I know nothing. Like, the closer we get to the draft, the more and more I don't know what's going on anymore. Like, I sat there with a general idea of what was going to go, what was happening. And then the Jaguars went out and franchise tag Cam Robinson. And that kind of threw a whole wrench into the entire ordeal. Because 
I remember we did Mock Draft 2.0, and it was out, like, right after that happened. So it was a situation where this draft is dumb. This draft is not happening because Evan Neal ain't going number one overall. He ain't going number one. Like, even now, I guess, like we said before, there is a chance Ike Makanwu, Kwanu goes number one because he can play guard or tackle, but it's more than likely going to be an edge rusher. And with this draft being super unpredictable, I went down the unpredictable route. And I went with some of the moves that Trent Baalke has made this offseason in regards to weird-ass moves that no one else would really make. No one in their right mind said Christian Kirk is worth four years, $72 million, let alone $84 million possibly. So I went with Trevon Walker, number one overall. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm actually not joking. Trevon Walker is an athletic freak. And before, like after Georgia beat Alabama in the national championship game, there was not a single person. If they are out there, if they're out there, I would love to meet them and shake. I want to shake your head. That video. There was not anybody though saying Trevon Walker would be number one overall. Not anybody. Like there were people that said he would be a top 20 pick. And I was like, okay, yeah, athletic. He could go to top 20. And then Daniel Jeremiah, this is where everybody started changing their opinions about Trevon Walker or Trayvon Walker. Daniel Jeremiah had him going fifth overall to the Giants. And then that's where everybody was like, shit, is he actually going that high? The production on this dude is not anything spectacular. There's no, th- there's nothing that said, oh yeah, this dude's a number one overall pick. When you look at what Aiden Hutchinson did, what Kayvon Thibodeau did, even what Jermaine Johnson did at Florida State. There's nothing that Walker did on face value that says he's the number one overall pick. And we're kind of turning this into like an NBA-style draft where we're going solely based off potential, not really all that they did in college. Because I think I saw something where it was like, Trevon Walker, if you look at all of his years at Georgia, his sack numbers equal what or less than what Jermaine Johnson's was last season. Jermaine Johnson had 12 and a half sacks last year. Walker, I think, had four. But I there's a couple factors that go into this thing. So Walker, when he was first at Georgia, was a D-tackle. Walker was 290 pounds, 6'5", 290 pounds, played D-tackle. And then his last year at Georgia, he switched out to D-end in their 4-3 front, and he moved down to 275. But when you have a guy that big that can move as well as he does, and it's not just that the combine numbers. Watch what he did at Georgia where he's chasing down running backs, chasing down wide receivers, chasing down some of the fastest quarterbacks in college football with ease at 6'5", 275. There ain't no small human here. And that Georgia D-line, like remember, I think we brought this up before, that Clemson D-line of 2019, when they won the Natty, you had Dexter Lawrence, you had um, Christian Wilkins, you had Cleveland Farrell. This Georgia line trumps that. Trumps it. And that defensive line for Clemson was elite. But Trevon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, they got Jordan Davis. Like, that's an elite. And Adam Anderson, another one. Like, there's some elite players in that in that group. And I think Trevon Walker literally – and Dane Brugler has said this from the Athletic, their draft guy. There is a chance because he – Trevon Walker has the traits that Trent Baalke looking for. He's very athletic. He's a real what – he, what did he say? I wrote it down. One of the few things I actually wrote down because <laughs> I thought it was intriguing to talk about. Uh, rare traits that GM Trent Baalke really likes. Rare traits. Size, athleticism, projection. Like a lot of times the NBA, there could be guys that go on super high that didn't really do a lot. Like Dragon Bender, like just a few years ago, averaged like four points a game. 
playing for Makai Tel Aviv in Israel. That dude got drafted, I think, fourth or fifth overall. There is no reason he should have been drafted that high. And he goes, yeah, he averaged four points a game. And surprisingly, he didn't really pan out in the NBA. Thought he'd be as a developmental piece. And I'm not saying Trevon Walker will be that, but there is that scare in there. So I understand where people are coming from where it's like, what the hell are you looking at when you say Trevon Walker should be first overall? Well, you look at what Aiden Hutchinson did. Look at what Kayvon Thibodeau has done. Hell, again, Jermaine Johnson. Look at what all these guys have done. But it's just that weird feeling you get before a draft where you go, okay, this actually might happen. I don't know why, but I think it might. And with how weird this draft is scheduled to be and how weird Jacksonville's moves have been this offseason, I will not rule this thing out. And I'm, this is the third mock draft. We've got till April 28th, till the the actual draft. So we've got time. <laughs> There's There is time to change this. But right now... I think this could happen. I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying I'm 100% confident in it, but I think this could happen. I really think there's a shot that this could happen. Rightly or wrongly, I think it could happen. Number two, Aiden Hutchinson. There's some report going out recently that's saying the Lions are trying to structure up a deal to see what it would make to get them to number one to select Hutchinson. But with Walker possibly going number one, that could just free up Hutchinson going number two. I really toyed with the idea of putting Malik Willis here. I love Malik Willis. He played with them at the Senior Bowl with the Lions coaching staff. Dan Campbell has talked about possibly changing up his offense. Mark Brunel is the quarterback coach, very mobile quarterback in his own right, not as much as Malik Willis, but a mobile quarterback nonetheless. So, like, all the pieces say Malik Willis should go to Detroit. But I just think if Aiden Hutchinson is available, they'll have to take him. They have no edge rushers. They have no defense. The Matt Patricia error on defense shafted the Lions. This is supposed to be a defensive guru coming from New England, and he sucked ass, as 90% of all Bill Belichick disciples do. You leave the nest, you ass. That's pretty much what happened. But Hutchinson, Plymouth, Michigan guy, was like a half hour away from Detroit. Didn't grow up a Lions fan, but I would imagine he'd make a lot of Lions fans from Plymouth if they weren't Lions fans already. He said he grew up a, a Patriots fan because the Lions were so bad. Like, if you grew up a half hour away from the city of another NFL team, how the hell are you going to be a fan of another team like that? Like, you're that close. You could ride a bike. It'd take a while, but you could ride a bike to the stadium. But, man, if Hutchinson's available, they have to take him. And I think Walker will probably go two if Hutchinson goes one. I think that's the what we're living in right now. Uh, number two, number three, sorry, the Houston Texans, Ikem Aquanu from NC State. Now, this one might surprise some people because the Texans might want to go for the defensive side of the ball with, like, Kyle Hamilton or Kayvon Thibodeau here. And given some recent reports that I've been researching, the two people – so, McLean uh, – what's his first name? He was on NFL Network all the time in the top ten list. What was his name? It's not John McClain. It might be John McClain. But McClain, he works for the Houston Chronicle. He's a very tied-in reporter with the Houston Texans. A few weeks ago – he has said that the Texans are looking at he's is set he thinks it will be either Aquanu or Kyle Hamilton. And given recent reports surrounding Kyle Hamilton and his bad 40 times, which again, I don't really care about Kyle Hamilton possibly running a 47 to 4840. Watch him on film. Kyle Hamilton is a football player. But this isn't this draft is not based on what I would do. This is what I think will happen or could possibly happen. I guess I'm not saying 100% this is going to happen, but I think it could. 
if Aquanu, if Aquanu and Kyle Hamilton are the top two guys they're looking at, they're going after Aquanu. Especially based on what the workouts have been this offseason. Kyle Hamilton has really had a great workout session this offseason. Safeties generally don't go in the top three, the la- or top five. The last safety going in the top five was Sean Taylor back in 2004. And he went fifth in that Eli Manning, Rivers, Roethlisberger draft. And Sean Taylor was on pace for a Hall of Fame career. But he's not enough to change the narrative around safeties being taken in the top ten. He's not enough. Like, Jamal Adams was taken six, but you look at some of the other safeties that are currently in the NFL, Minka Fitzpatrick was taken 11th. Thurwin James, who's someone Kyle Hamilton gets compared to all the time, was taken 17th. So, if we're looking at comparisons to Kyle Hamilton, he's going to fall out. He's going to drop a little bit, especially given how his workouts have been. And the Texans, yes, a lot of Texans fans on Twitter are getting a little upset with people saying the Texans should draft a lineman because Titus Howard's there. And Laramie Tunsil just restructured his contract, so he ain't going anywhere. But Titus Howard is all right. And even that, he's playing guard. He's playing left guard. It's not like he's been playing tackle. He got drafted as a tackle. He's been playing guard. And Aquanu, if you want to play him at tackle, play him there. If you want to play him at guard, play him there. Now, I know there's some people out there who say you don't draft a guard with a top three pick. If, if You're not saying you would draft Quentin Nelson with a top three pick? You're really saying that? You got drafted sixth. Like, Aquanu could easily get drafted third. And I think he will get drafted third at this point in time. Obviously, it's something to change again. But I like the fit. If you want to see, if you want to see what Davis Mills can do, give him every chance in the world. Give him some linemen. Aquanu is the guy that I really like and I think could fit in Houston. Number four, the Jets flip back and forth. Jeez, flip back and forth between this one quite a bit. Kayvon Thibodeau. I was stuck between Thibodeau and Ahmad Gardner here. But from what everything I've gathered, the Jets really like Thibodeau. They're not really concerned with the workout or the the off the field quote unquote issues, if you want to even call them that. They see a really nice football player. This is from all the reports I have read. Because I I try to do as much research as I can, which is why this takes so long, which is why there's so many words. Like this draft, if you read through every single word, it takes 71 minutes to read. If you read every single word, 71, that's a new record for me. So I'm pretty proud of myself for that. But this draft, if you just look at what the Jets have done, or tried to do this offseason, and I'm not saying I might be reading too much into this, which is something I do quite a bit, but if we're looking at just solely what the Jets have done or attempted to do again, they were in for Chandler Jones, they were in for Tyreek Hill, they've been in for DK Metcalf. Edge rusher and wide receivers are their top two priorities. I'm not saying their secondary sucks ass, so I'm, I'm, they could go for Amon Gardner here. I would not put that past them at all. But from reports that say they like Gardner, they want him at 10. I've seen a lot of people put him on Gardner at 4, but the reports that I've been reading say the Jets really like Gardner, but they want him at 10. He ain't falling to 10. I'll just spoil that for you right now. He ain't falling to 10. The Jets, with Robert Salas, the head coach, who came from San Francisco, worked wonders with a D-line that consists of Eric Armstead, DeForest Butner, Joey Nick Bosa, D. Ford, all these great Solomon Thomas was another one, not great, but a lineman they drafted. And then he got Javon Kinlaw. They drafted in the span of five years or six years, drafted five D linemen. 2015 Eric Armstead, 2016 DeForest Butner, 17 Solomon Thomas, 19 Nick Bosa, 20 Javon Kinlaw to replace the 2016 draft Rick DeForest Butner. <laughs> like Javon Robert Sala is going to want to re-strengthen his defense, and you're in a division with Josh Allen. Okay, one thing that I remember hearing a few weeks ago was was uh, Charlie Cassidy was GM of the Houston Texans. 
drafted Mario Williams first overall. This was the year of Vince Young and uh, Reggie Bush. The top two players just played in the national championship, Heisman winner. Um, yes, Heisman winner, Reggie Bush. And second in the Heisman national championship, Vince Young. Vince Young's from Houston, played at Texas. And Charlie Castley drafted Mario Williams, who easily was the best player out of those three right now in hindsight, but got fired because he drafted him. Wanted either Bush or Young. Why do you draft these guys? Because I'm trying to catch number 18, Peyton Manning, in your division. If you want to beat Josh Allen, you got to get some edge rushers. If you look at all the games that the Bills have had troubles in, they've had dominant D-lines or dominant edge rushers. If you can get past the Bills O-line, which has not been the strong point of the Bills for the past few seasons, Josh Allen being 6'5", 240 pounds, has lightened the blow on the Bills or has taken the light off of how bad the O-line has been recently. But if you want to beat the Bills or attempt to beat the Bills, you've got to get edge rushers. Like the Patriots got Matthew Judon. Jets got to get Kayvon Thibodeau. Or the best edge rusher available, whoever it is. Uh, fifth overall, the Giants, Evan Neal. They need a lineman. Their line sucks ass. Like It's just, it's just simple as that. <laughs> Andrew Thomas, they tried to draft him fourth overall, who at the time was seen by most people as the fourth best lineman in that draft, was taken fourth overall. And uh, hasn't really panned out the way they expected him to. But yeah, they're... Yeah, the Giants need to move on. They need some help there on the O-line. Evan Neal can play guard or tackle. He's six foot seven, 230-something pounds. I think it was two or two, three thirty-eight at the combine or something, six seven, three thirty-eight. Like he's a monster. So if the Giants are really believing in Daniel Jones, they brought in Tyrod Taylor to coach him up a little bit. Tyrod's gonna play at some point. Like they could say Daniel, they're trying to believe in Daniel Jones. Tyrod Taylor's gonna play for the Giants this year. Daniel Jones is either gonna get hurt or turn the ball over too much, and Tyrod's gonna play. And even Tyrod would like a lineman like Evan Neal. The Giants need to show up their own line. Get Evan Neal in. Number six, Kenny Pickett. I, I've had this pick the entire time. This is just, there's too many dots here. David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, is a Pitt grad. He's from Pittsburgh. Matt Rule recruited Kenny Pickett in high school. Got him committed to Temple before he went to Baylor. Like, all the signs say Kenny Pickett's going to Carolina. Every single sign says he's going to Carolina. Unless something crazy happens, I'll be convinced that this happens for a while. I know Malik Willis had a lot of people are really falling in love with Malik Willis. He had an insane pro day. But the Panthers, the connections they have there. Like, you look at the Giants. When they drafted Daniel Jones sixth overall, I would, I would say the Kyler Murray situation, but I think the Daniel Jones one sticks out more because Daniel Jones was a shock going at six. They had the connection with the Mannings. He played for Cutcliffe at Duke, who coached the Mannings. He had that connection there. Replace Eli, bring in Daniel Jones. Shocked everybody. But if you like this guy, if the Panthers truly like this guy, and their roster stinks, Sam Darnold is not your quarterback. He's not. I'm I'm open to giving her a chance, but he's not your guy. And yes, their O-line is atrocious. So, lineman could be an option here. But Kenny Pickett, with all these connections, it just makes too much sense. Like the Cardinals, when they drafted Kyler Murray, same year Daniel Jones got drafted by the Giants, they could have used linemen. They could have used an edge rusher. They could have used someone like Quinnen Jones, Nick Bosa. They could have used these guys. Instead, they went for Kyler Murray because the previous connections he had with the head coach. So that's just, that's what I'm picturing this as. I could be completely wrong. Would this be an overdraft? Yeah. But I think the connections are too much there. If you like a guy 
This is the old edge. If you like a guy, don't risk having someone else take him. If you like Kenny Pickett that much, if you want, if you know him, if you want to be around him and have him be your quarterback, you can't risk anybody else taking him, especially when you don't have a pick till the fourth round. So, yeah, that's what I think they're going to do. Is it right? Probably not, but that's that's what I think they're going to do. Number seven, Ahmad Gardner, the Giants. Again, Giants are really like they really like Ahmad Gardner. They could use an edge rusher here. Yeah, but James Bradbury, number one quarter, is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL has been linked with a trade away from the Giants the entire offseason. The entire off, Like, I'm not talking like a few days. The entire offseason, he's been linked away with a move. Linked with a move away from the Giants. And regardless if he even leaves or not, Ahmad Gardner would be awesome fit for the Giants anyways. Big corner, six foot three, 200 pounds. Like, this dude doesn't get beat deep. He doesn't get beat over top. He plays great man coverage, press man coverage. So, if Ahmad Gardner lasts till 10, I'll be pretty surprised. Because, again, I think he separated himself from the other cornerbacks in this draft class. I think he goes to the Jets at four or the Giants at seven. I don't think the Giants will take him at five, but they could take him at seven, and that's where I have him going here. I don't think the Jets, if they really like Thibodeau and they really need an edge rusher or like the edge rushers, they're going to take Thibodeau or Trevon Walker or someone like that, depending on or Conwu or someone like that. But they could take Gardner. I wouldn't be shocked if they took Gardner. I just think they'll move after the edge rusher. Like, I could easily, at a drop of a hat, flip four and seven. Like, the Gardner going to the Jets and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau going to the Giants. But I just have a hard time picturing Robert Sala and what he did with the 49ers D-line saying, oh, yeah, let's pass on that. Even though Ahmad Gardner fits that profile of the big corner, like Robert Sala had Richard Sherman in San Francisco, this would kind of fit that same mold. But I'm going to stick Gardner with the Giants and Kayvon Thibodeau with the Jets. Number eight, the Falcons, they, everything, I mean, they have no one. Their roster reeks. I think they're probably, again, I think they're the worst team in the NFL. They really do. They finished 7-10 and 10 last year in the weirdest 7-10 and 10 season. They, I, I, how the hell did this team finish 7-10? and 10? Now they don't have Matt Ryan, and I like Marcus Mariota, one of the, my favorite college quarterbacks, and a lot of kids my age, favorite college quarterbacks of all time. But what? Their O line stinks. You got Kyle Pitts. That's it. You got no edge rushers. You got zero wide receivers. Let Russell Gage go to Tampa. You don't have Julio Jones there anymore. You've got nothing on this roster. So I'm going to end up going with the wide receiver. I'm going to go with Garrett Wilson. And think this workout, this offseason has been really good to Garrett Wilson. He flew at the 40 yard dash. He ran faster than Chris Alave, which was surprising. I think a lot of people, including myself, thought Chris Olave was the fastest out of those big three wide receivers at Ohio State, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson. Wilson's that dog. I think that dog mentality will get him drafted a lot higher than what people originally expected of him. He's that he's kind of like in that similar mold to Jamar Chase or Jamar Ch- uh, to Justin Jefferson in that aspect. He can play both slot and outside. He's a dog. He's similar body style to Stephon Diggs. I think so if the Falcons. Like they drafted a tight end last year at four, and not a lot of fans were happy. I know Kyle Pitts was awesome, but not a lot of fans were happy. Now, uh, <laughs> there might not be a lot of fans happy with this one, too, but they need some wide receivers. They need wideouts. Uh, number nine, the Seahawks taking Charles Cross from Mississippi State. They don't really draft linemen. They don't. <laughs> they drafted Walter Jones really high. Uh, Dwayne Brown's a free agent, still haven't done anything with him. They're linked with trades away from Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. They don't have a quarterback. But I think they'll go with round two. I think they'll get somebody there. They have two first round. They have two second round picks, 
or two picks in the second round that are back-to-back, I think 40 and 41 or 41 and 42, something like that. They can get a quarterback there, but, man, they need some help on the O-line. They need some help. Dwayne Brown, again, a free agent. Charles Cross is easily the best pass protect, pure pass protector in this draft class. Easily the best one. He's very polarizing the fact that they didn't run the ball that much. They didn't. And I bring this up every single time I talk about Charles Cross because it's kind of worrisome because you don't know what he can do. He could be really good. His athletic ability says he should be a very good run blocker. He should be a very capable blocker in general. Pass blocking, he's elite. That's no, There's no disputing that. Like he's an elite pass blocker. In 719 pass blocking snaps, he allowed 16 pressures. Like This dude does not let anything pass him in the pass game. We'll see how he does in the run game, but if the Seahawks want to get back, they got to start improving their offensive line. That's something they have to do because they don't have Russell Wilson there anymore. You ain't having a quarterback scramble around saving your ass every single time he drops back. You need to address the offensive line in some capacity. And number 10, New York Jets. Again, we said this with the fourth overall pick. They're going to take either a, they're, the goal, it seems, to take a lot edge rusher and a wide receiver. The two positions they've tried the hardest to upgrade on this offseason are the wide receiver and wide rusher positions. They've tried to get Chandler Jones, tried to get DK, tried to get Tyreek Hill. They could still get DK, I guess, but, man, get a wide receiver in here. Take some pressure off Zach Wilson. They improved the offensive line, bringing in Lakin Tomlinson. I know there's <coughs> reports of them being, quote-unquote, fed up with Makai Becton and how he's not staying healthy or stuff like that, but if Aquanu's not there at number four, they're not taking a lineman. Especially, <coughs> jeez, <coughs> sorry. Especially if Thibodeau's there. That's what my gut feeling is telling me right now. But Drake London, big-bodied wide receiver, can play in the slot at 6'5", 200-something pounds, 210 pounds. Duke can play in the slot. Duke can play outside. He made circus catches look routine during his last year at USC. Keegan Slovis really started teetering downhill after his first really successful year at USC. It's that game against Iowa in the Holiday Bowl that has seen everything kind of fall apart around Keaton Slovis. But now he's at Pitt. They turn Kenny Pickett into a first-round draft pick. So we'll see if that happens there at Pittsburgh. But Drake London, he Zach Wilson will need a big-bodied guy. They have Car- geez, Corey Davis there, Braxton Berrios. They have Denzel Mims there. So they could just get this big-bodied wide receiver. He's very versatile for being how big he is. Athlete, former college basketball players, coming off an ankle injury, which kind of scares some people away. But this dude, Kim Ball. He can ball. He doesn't have the breakaway speed that a lot of people are looking for, which could see someone like Chris Olave go here maybe. But Drake London, if we're talking about just raw athletic ability and give Zach Wilson number one guy you can trust, Drake London's your guy at number 10. Uh, now we're just kind of jump around the draft a little bit. Uh, number 11, Kyle Hamilton going to Washington. They just cut a little bit ago Landon Collins. They have a hole at safety. Kyle Hamilton's the best safety in the draft bar none. Just circumstance, given the position and how his workouts have been this offseason, I don't really put a lot of weight on his workouts because I've watched him at Notre Dame. But this dude can ball. This dude can flat-out ball. The past two years in the draft, safeties haven't been taken to pick 36. Now it's Javon Holland from Oregon, now at Miami, and Xavier McKinney from Alabama is now playing with the Giants. Kyle Hamilton can play. There's no reason he shouldn't be drafted with a top-five pick. Like, if you're looking at safeties that warrant those types of picks, Kyle Hamilton's your guy, 6'4", 220 pounds. Can play corner, safety, linebacker, edge right. He can do everything for your defense. Like people worried about his 40 yard dash time. Watch the play against Florida State where he tracked, I don't know, a thousand yards to get an interception. Like Kyle Hamilton can ball. I, if it's a shame that he fell to 11, but that's the nature of position and the nature of his workouts this offseason. I'll see him fall probably a little bit outside the top 10. Uh, what other positions are kind of things we want to talk about here? 
Uh, talking about some Iowa people, uh, Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa off to tackle, going 18 in New Orleans. Saints lost Teron, Taron Armstead to the Miami Dolphins. Big time move there for the Dolphins to get a nice, solid at least, <laughs> a very good tackle. I was trying to belittle it because of the Dolphins, but a very good tackle in that. Like, when you look at the Saints, you look at what, uh, <coughs> geez, Mickey Loomis has done over the past few seasons with the Miami, with the New Orleans Saints, like, they drafted. Every single starter, including Teron Armstead, they drafted their starters on the O-line. So when they lose somebody, they don't really sit around and wait for something. No. Like, they drafted Cesar Ruiz in 2020, drafted Eric McCoy in 2019, Ryan Ramchick in 2017, Andres Pete in 2015, and Taron Armstead in 2013. All of those players, apart from Ramchick and Armstead, were used with the first pick. I, I think... Was Marshawn Lattimore... Taken in 2017 before Ramchick? I think he might have been. I could be wrong. Yeah, okay. He was taken before Ramchick. I wasn't 100% sure on that, but yeah. Then you replace Armstead. And Trevor Penning is the next best tackle this draft, and I could arguably see him go higher than 18. This dude's awesome. He can play guard, can play right tackle or left tackle. Yeah, I think he would be awesome down there. He's a very physical lineman, very athletic for how big and how unathletic he seems, <laughs> to put it lightly. But, man, I love Trevor Penning. I want to see all Northern Iowa Panthers do well at the next level. I think he could ball out for the Saints. Number 20, now I'd like to preface this before, okay? I do not think Malik Willis will be picked at 20. I think Malik Willis will be picked a lot sooner than this. I just couldn't figure out a trade that I liked. So by that, I kind of forced this. I kind of forced Malik Willis to Pittsburgh because I think this is a team he'll get drafted by. But I don't know where it'll be. I don't think it'll be 20 because one thing that I've learned from the Pittsburgh Steelers and Mike Tomlin in general, like last year, to be specific, they forecasted their pick like at the combine, like before the combine that they were taking Najee Harris. They were not shy about saying, hey, we're taking Najee Harris. Everyone's like, okay, yeah, they're going to take a lineman. They need to take a lineman. And then they drafted Najee Harris and everybody was surprised. They literally, he basically came out and said, we are taking Najee Harris. And everyone's like, okay, yeah, okay, Mike, you're crazy. You crazy for this one, Mike. They've made it abundantly clear they really like Malik Willis. They really like Malik Willis. Almost stalkerish levels Malik Willis liking here. And Malik Willis would fit that Pittsburgh mold. Like, you look at what they want to do. They want to be a run-first team, him and Najee Harris. And then you see Mike Tomlin talking about he wants to get more mobile at the quarterback position. Not saying Big Ben was immobile, but towards the latter stage of his career, yeah, he was on par with like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in regards to immobility there. Not early Big Ben, late Big Ben. And Malik Willis would be that guy. And the thing is, a lot of people are considering him being a, um, what do you want to call it? That he needs to sit for two years or somewhere around two years like that to learn and mature under another starter. They signed Mitch Trubisky to a two-year contract. I like Mitch Trubisky, and I think he got really, really really badly treated by a lot of people out there in regards to what he did in Chicago. I think he should get a chance, but I still think the Steelers will move up for someone like Malik Willis. I think that's a guy that they really want. I think he'd fit what they're trying to do, and he'd give two years to learn under Trubisky and then take over as a starter. I think Malik Willis' upside is insane. I think Pittsburgh's the likely candidate to move up for Malik Willis. Uh, number 25, Buffalo. Uh, Brees Hall from Iowa State, the running back. I was stuck on that. So before the Bills reached out to Ryan Bates, I had Zion Johnson going here from Boston College. But with Ryan Bates coming back, that shored up that guard spot for the Bills. 
at least for now. I still think there's a possibility they could move for someone like Johnson, but at least for now, Ryan Bates is going to be the team starting right guard next season. And uh, I think it's fine because when you look at what the Bills did with Ryan Bates in, the Bills O-line, this cannot be understated, overstated enough, the Bills O-line improved so much with Ryan Bates in his starting guard. Like I like Ike Bucker. I like John Feliciano. I don't like Cody Ford. So I was <laughs> Ryan Bates was the dude at guard for the Bills. And now Roger Saffold's in. So your guard spots are pretty much filled up, at least you would think. I think corner's an option here, but man, you get a guy like Brees Hall, and this is something, I might be reading too much into this, but one thing Brandon Bean said this offseason was number one priority is to protect Josh Allen. And on face value, you look at that and go, oh, get off to linemen. Yeah, do that. But when you look a little deeper in that, you can go, they need a running back. Devin Singletary is a free, unrestricted free agent next year. So they could be move, looking on the move from him. And I like Devin Singletary. I have nothing really bad to say about Devin Singletary. But the Bills have no run game. You look at other sources from around the league that are saying, like, the Bills, if you stop Josh Allen, which is easier said than done, you stop the Bills. Their rush attack, apart from Josh Allen, is non-existent. The Bills have no threat of running backs. There's not one person out there that says, oh, when it gets cold in December and you're forced or it's raining or something, you're forced to run the ball. No one's scared of the Bills' running attack. The Bills went from, this is how bad the running backs are. They were doing really bad doing the traditional way of offenses where you try to establish the run to set up a pass. That's how bad it was. The Bills went from that to going, okay, we're going to pass to set the run. You shouldn't be doing that or shouldn't have to do that, but that's just what the Bills did. Your best running back's Josh Allen. At 6'5", 237, 240 pounds, yeah, he can take a beating. I'm not saying he can't, but you got to stop. Sean McDermott was even like, I wish we had Josh Allen stop running so much. How do you manage him to stop running so much? You give him a running back that he actually trusts. The thing with Brees Hall is, 6'1", 220 pounds. Ran a 4'3", 940, which is ridiculous. That doesn't even make sense. One of the most athletically gifted players in the entire draft. And we're talking about well-rounded running backs. Are the running backs that will be considered for first and second round draft picks? I think there's three guys. Hall, Isaiah Spiller, and Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. I think those are the three guys you're talking about when you're talking about sec- first or second round draft picks. Brees Hall is the most well-rounded guy out of all of them. I think Brees Hall's last year at Iowa State proved that. His numbers in the pass game improved immensely. He got more catches, yards, and touchdowns in his last year at Iowa State. They actually involved him in the the pass game, which was huge. Like, the Bills haven't had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2017, and that was LaShawn McCoy. Haven't had that. Like, you look at all the running the quarterbacks in the NFL that are, you know, young, like Joe Burrow, got Joe Mixon. Baker had Kareem Hunt and Dick Chubb. Where's some other running backs? <laughs> even like Clyde Urzelaire was decent at times. But, like, even the Chiefs punted for a running back in the first round. And Brees Hall is better than Clyde Urzelaire. But I'm sure if the Chiefs went back and did it again, they would draft Jonathan Taylor. But Jonathan Taylor wouldn't be available at big 32 if they could do that over again. But if you want to take pressure off Josh Allen, you want him to stop running, you want him to take hits, or you want to protect him, yeah, sure, says lineman. It also says, let's draft a running back. Especially one that can catch the ball to the backfield, and that's physical. 
and they'll be able to carry the load for the Bills when they need him to, and it doesn't all get piled on Josh Allen. Brees Hall is teetering towards first-round draft pick, and I think the, I would love him on the Buffalo Bills. And this is coming from an Iowa fan, but I would love him on the Bills. Uh, one that I think would be kind of surprising to some people, 30th, uh, Christian Watson from North Coast State, wide receiver. I remember during the Senior Bowl, post-Senior Bowl, we talked about Christian Watson quite a bit because Christian Watson was one of the players that, you know, it's not something massive or something that should be like, wow, that's really cool. But Christian Watson caught a ball from Kenny Pickett in the, well, what quarter was it? I don't remember what quarter it was, but he caught the ball, fell over. Defender jumped over him. He had the wherewithal. You're coming from college. You're not used to this. Had the wherewithal to get up and gain like an extra 15, 20 yards on the play. Like not a lot of college players go, I'm down. Oh, I can still run. No, it's, oh, I'm down. I'm going to toss the ball down. He could have had one of those moments. But Christian Watson at 6'4", freaking 208 pounds, Ran a 4-3-6-40, a 38.5-inch vertical, and an 11-foot-4 broad jump, which was the best measured attempt at any receiver at the Combine. And this one thing that's surprising about this, the first thing is that he got drafted before Jahan Dotson, which should surprise a lot of people. But the second thing is, this dude never had a 1,000-yard season at North Dakota State. And we're talking about potential here. Christian Watson might have the highest potential out of any wide receiver in this draft class, next to Jamison Williams, because Jamison Williams is you know coming off a torn ACL. But he get drafted in the first round, so don't worry. He went to the Patriots at 21. But Christian Watson has destroyed these offseason work. And I think the thing with the 1,000 yards, like he still led North Coast State in receiving yards two years. But North Coast State, for those of you who are unaware don't watch FCS football, North Coast State is basically a shotgun triple option team. It's not – they pass. I guess they pass more of their triple option team. But they're a run-first team. They're still one of the few FCS teams or college teams in general that still use a fullback. They beat the crap out of you. That's what North Coast State does best. And Christian Watson, with Trey Lance, even though Trey Lance was the entire offense for North Coast State, ran for 1,200 yards, passed for 2,700 yards. Christian Watson was the number one guy. His speed is insane. His size is insane. And the Chiefs, yeah, you went out and got Juju Smith-Schuster, and he got Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Sure. Get a guy with the upside like Christian Watson, and that'd be very scary for every other team in the NFL. And uh, 31, this is the last pick we'll talk about because it's an Iowa player. The Bengals taking Tyler Lindebaum. I'm stuck with this. I don't know if I want to put Lindebaum at 24 to Dallas or 31 to Cincinnati and the other vice versa. I have Kenyon Green going to Dallas. A&M guy, Texas guy. So I think that's the might be the direction they go. But the Bengals, again, they've made moves this offseason. They brought in Ted Garris from New England. And they've said Ted Karras will be the center. Ted Karras is a guard or played guard in New England at least, because Matt or Mark Andrews, not Mark Andrews, what's his name, David Andrews, was the center for the Patriots. So kick him back outside to guard, because they still have a little bit of an issue at guard. So bring in Tyler Lindebaum, you have the best center prospect in what, years? And he got drafted 31st? There's a few factors in this. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, Tyler Lindebaum, yes, he. I think he's the best center prospect in years. And I'm including likes of Garrett Bradbury or uh, Frank Ragnow or Billy Price or players like this that were considered really high draft picks for centers, should be considered really high draft picks for centers. But some are considering Linderbaum's a little small for the position. He's about 290 pounds, not massive. He's got short arms, which is something that always gets brought up with the offensive line, which causes them to slide a little bit. But the other size mixed with the short arms is not a great, not a great situation in general. And then mix in the fact that he's a center. So with the likelihood of him going super high in the draft, I don't think is very high. He could, 
I think he has the, he has the probably the widest range of any player in the first round. Like he could go as high as 14 to Baltimore and as low as 31 to Cincinnati. Like this dude could literally go anywhere in the draft. I think it'd go if we're just talking about the draft order. I guess I should pull up uh, the order so I could see where I think he could go. Hold on, I'm trying to move fast here. So how was your day today? I hope it was good, or hope it's going good. So first round, okay. So Baltimore, Philly, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, Dallas, Tennessee, Green Bay again, <laughs> Tampa, I guess to a certain extent. But yeah, kick someone. I doubt. I doubt Tampa. I don't know if Linderbaum could move to guard. I think that's a question that a lot of teams are having out there. If he could move to guard if needed. So I don't know what the situation is regards to what teams view him as. But for, I'm going off what I heard or what I've seen. And a lot of people are having Linderbaum go a little bit later than what previously was expected of him. And that might be rightly or wrongly, but the dude can ball. I don't think he'll have a lot of issues in Cincinnati. He'll be a baller for the Bengals, baller for the Cowboys, baller for the Ravens. Wherever the hell he goes, he will be a baller for. And that's all I've got for you today on this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. In this mock draft, though, just so you're aware, for the 32 picks, we had two quarterbacks, one running back, six wideouts, five offensive tackles, three interior linemen, three D tackles, six edge rushers, two linebackers, three corners, and one safety. So I would recommend you check this out. It's on the LoganBlattmanShow.com if you want to search that in the search bar or go to follow me on any forms of social media. Again, read those out again. Twitter is Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Then at Facebook and YouTube, The Logan Blackman Show. And, of course, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you can find us on there as well. But the links will be on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you want to go add me on there, you can do that as well. Or you can just search theloganblattmanshow.com in your search bar and go to the blog page or scroll down to the main page and click the link that says blog or new blog. I don't remember exactly what it says, but click that link, and it should take you directly to the page. Oh, man. It's good to be back. I needed a break. I really needed a break from this. It does, again, it doesn't really seem like a whole lot. It's not something that seems like it's the most stressful thing in the world, but it can be at times. So I just needed a little sabbatical, I guess. Haven't done a show since April, since March 11th. So it's been a while. But I feel like the show went well today. At least I hope it did. And uh, yeah, <laughs> hope to see you on Monday. Haven't recorded a show. When's the last time I recorded a show on a Monday? When's a... Uh, I think April, I think February 21st, I think was the last Monday I recorded on. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> February 21st was the last Monday I recorded Logan Blackman show on. So, yeah. Hopefully we can get to Monday. If not, I'll see you hopefully on Wednesday. But, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. I hope you enjoy your weekend. Happy birthday to Tom and Alec. Uh, F.U. Tom. So, um, yeah. I will see you all later. Have a good weekend. Check out the mock draft on LoganBlattmanShow.com. Follow the Logan Blattman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a rating on a five stars, and I'll see you all later. Peace.